0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we continue our series Wisdom Matters with a message titled The Evil Woman or Man. So let's turn in our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6 verses 20 to 35 as we join Dr. Neufeld now.
1: This series has been an introduction to wisdom most specifically This has been about why one should pay whatever price it takes to get wisdom. Proverbs has told us that wisdom is more precious than silver and gold, and as the father continues to make his point with his young adult son, he comes back to the matter of adultery, and the high price that must be paid if one is to commit adultery with an unchaste woman. You see, it turns out that it's not only the getting of wisdom that demands a price, but also folly demands a price as well. The abandonment of virtue demands a price. There's a price to pay. The difference between folly and wisdom is that the, the price one pays for wisdom, that's a price worth paying. The price one pays for folly, well, let's learn about that today. So we start with an introduction to today's teaching, and it's found in Proverbs 6, 20 to 24. My son, keep your father's commandment, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Now we see in this section that the mother also becomes involved in the instruction. But let's remember, that's not the first time the mother is mentioned. I mean, she did show up back in chapter 1, verse 8, where the son was called to hear his father's instruction, and then also, he was not to forsake his mother's teaching. Even though the majority of the conversation does happen between father and son, one's not to get the impression the mom's not involved. And from my perspective, she shows up here to reinforce for her son that while there are good women, there are also evil women. Let me stop there for a moment. You know, in our day, where abuse and sexual impropriety of men is a serious matter indeed, a matter we must not pass by, and yet, it must also be said that the fall and the effects of the fall are felt equally in both men and women. And that's to say, neither men or women are more virtuous than the other. As there are evil men, so there are also evil women. And in the last section, that is in Proverbs 6, 1 to 19, we met the foolish man who had become security for a neighbor. Then we met the man who was a sluggard or who was lazy at his work. Next, we met the perverse man of wicked speech. And then we learned seven things in a man that the Lord hates. And now in the last half of this chapter, we meet the wicked woman, the woman this young man must avoid. And in order to stress the seriousness of this, the mother is involved. And when it comes to this teaching about the immoral woman, you'll notice, as we have noticed before, that in verse 23, that this teaching is in the form of a command. But we also noticed here, the command is a great blessing. It's called a lamp and a light. That is, to keep the command dispels the darkness. And for that reason, you know, back in verse 21, the young man is to bind this teaching in the form of a command around his neck like a chain. And the picture we get is that he is to memorize the teaching so that the teaching is permanently impressed on his mind so that whenever he gets into a situation, he will immediately turn to the teaching that's always felt. Verse 22 says, when you walk, the teachings will lead you. Now, we don't notice this in our English translation, but in the original Hebrew, the word teaching is also the same word as wisdom. It's a feminine noun. And so the text before us wants the son to make her, that is the teaching, and not the temptress, his companion for life. And when she, that is the teaching, she will lead you when you're involved in life's activities. And when he goes to sleep at night, the teaching watches over him. And when he awakes to face a new day, the first thing that's there is the teaching regarding sexual faithfulness, and it it greets him as he sets out in the day. And we might think, well, now, isn't that a bit of an overplay? I mean, isn't he obsessed with thoughts of the immoral woman? But it's quite the opposite. He is not to think of the immoral woman. He is to think about the disciplines of the teaching regarding faithfulness. See, I have a memory in that regard. I was on a missions trip with three other men. We were going to Romania. We were delivering medical supplies, but I was also doing some teaching there. And this was a number of years ago in the days when the communist dictator of the country had just fallen and everything in that country was changing. Well, the four of us had flown into Budapest in Hungary, and from there we would drive into northern Romania. But as we arrived in the city of Budapest, we decided to find a place to eat. You know, one of the men said he knew a wonderful place that overlooked the famous Danube, where it flowed through the center of the city. And so the four of us set out walking, from our hotel, having a map and an idea where to walk, but unbeknownst to us, we walked through a red light zone, a place where prostitutes were everywhere. Now, we were in no danger, either physically or even in terms of temptation. But suddenly, a young woman blocked my way and propositioned me, and I was shocked. And in my shock, the only thing that I could think of saying is holding up my marriage ring and saying, I'm married! Well, it seems strange that I said exactly those words. I suppose I should have said, I'm a believer in Christ, devoted to Christ, but it all happened so suddenly I really didn't know what I was saying. But in an instant, the young woman said, well, that doesn't matter. And that's where all my teaching just kicked in. I said, well, it matters to me, it matters to my wife, it matters to my kids, and it matters to my God. And the three other men by then had surrounded me and on we went, but I've thought about that since. She said it didn't matter. And I said it really matters a great deal more than you'll ever realize. See, it's the difference between two profoundly different worldviews, profoundly different ways of seeing what truly matters. See, in our world, it's become quite a common statement for those who have no concept of sexual faithfulness to say, well, it's only sex. But faithfulness is never an only concept. It's about all of life. And that's the point to the introduction of this passage. Binding the teaching of faithfulness around your neck so that it's always there is given with the understanding that the young man will never know at what point he will be required to retrieve the teaching. And so the idea being stressed here is allow this to become an essential part of your life. And what's the outcome? Well, we find that in verse 24, to preserve you from the evil woman. That is, he's going to need protection from this woman. And why? Well, the answer comes in the latter part of verse 24. She has a smooth tongue. That is to say, she is smooth talking. Her speech is fluent. It's lustful. It's slippery and treacherous. And when she talks, he could fall in a second. She will no doubt flatter him, and he will no doubt be overwhelmed by her beauty. And in many ways, he's going to be a sitting duck for her. And he would be, were it not for the teaching of his father and mother. And of course, the teaching they have given him comes directly from Scripture. The seventh command says, You shall not commit adultery. The Lord forbids it. It's a great evil against God. But to know the teaching is one thing. The teaching must be explained as well as the way of faithfulness that has to be addressed and exalted. The young man needs to make a hero out of faithfulness and a villain out of unfaithfulness. It's never correct to say, well, look, you know, it's so easy to fail. Of course it's easy to fail. But it's also true that one can be guarded so that the opportunity of failing is lessened. Let me suggest an illustration. And I take this illustration from the world of sinkholes. You know, a sinkhole is an underground cavern. Over time, the cavern weakens and there are vibrations in the ground. Cracks appear, so forth. And from our perspective, you know, the disaster happens suddenly. The ground opens up. There's a catastrophe, you know, and suddenly cars and entire houses are swallowed into the earth. But long before the catastrophe, the underground cavern was first formed when an underground river was flowing. Then the river dried up, and then of course the cavern was weakened. If we had only known that an underground dry river eventually means disaster. So it is with the unwise who fall into adultery. They didn't just fall. Either the teaching of wisdom in sexuality wasn't there, or there was false teaching regarding sexual wisdom, or the biblical teaching was ignored. And when that's ignored, suddenly a sinkhole opens up that swallows up a person into sin. And so the introduction to this passage is essential. Don't forsake the teaching about sexual faithfulness. Review its lessons, remember it, rehearse it, go over it time and again, for if you do, you'll be wearing that teaching like a necklace. It'll be there for all to see as a reminder of what you've learned. And then when the smooth talking immoral woman or the smooth talking immoral man compliments you and eventually makes an offer, you won't be a sinkhole, you'll have been guarded. Now what follows next in this passage is why being guarded against adultery really is such an important thing.
0: The Back to the Bible Canada-Israel experience is a trip like none other and I'm not the only one who thinks so. A supporter who attended our most recent trip said listening to Pastor John teach the Bible while looking and breathing the air where the events he speaks about may actually have happened puts doubts of the authenticity of the Bible to rest. So make plans to join an intimate group of spiritual pilgrims this coming spring from April 16th to the 24th, 2023, and with an optional Jordan extension from April 24th to the 29th. With on location teaching from Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld and evenings of entertainment with Laugh Phil Calloway and very special musical guest Amanda Stott. For more information, the trip itinerary, or registration forms, call us at 1 800 663 2425 or visit backtothebible.ca
1: I'm reading Proverbs 6, 25 to 26. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. You know, the opening words are the key ones. The rest is motivation. Do not desire her beauty. Both the father and the mother understand the power of sexual attraction. It's there. And their son will not be blind to it. He will notice her beauty. But the key word is the word desire. I mean, Jesus spoke about that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 27 to 29. You've heard that was said. It has to do with engaging in the mental act of unfaithfulness. It's, it's acting out the matter in the mind, role-playing how it might work out, imagining every detail. It's the act of meditation. See, I like to compare meditation to a cow chewing its cud. Now, I grew up on a dairy farm, so this really works for me. Cows have four stomachs, and when the cow first eats, it breaks down the tough food, and it goes into one of the first two stomachs. And then if you watch a cow, it'll simply be standing there. And then it looks like it's regurgitating food from one of those stomachs. It comes straight up into the mouth. And then the cow just begins to chew that food all over again. And that's meditation. You know, the young man has seen that beautiful woman. Now it simmers. Then he goes over the matter again. And then he begins to replay it over and over again. James speaks about that in James 1, 14 to 15 but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Here's how James sees desire. Desire tempts, but desire that continues to feed on more desire eventually breaks down whatever blockage that has been put in its way. Keep concentrating on your desire, you'll eventually conceive death. And that's The point that's being made it's not that the young man doesn't notice that the immoral woman is beautiful it's just that he allows that noticing to become desire see there's an old adage it says look you can't stop the birds from flying over your head but you can prevent them from building a nest in your hair that's desire so very well don't desire her beauty in your heart which means don't desire to possess her and then is added that she might capture him with her eyelashes But then having been captivated by her, the son is now asked to be captivated by something else. That is, what would be the price of falling into adultery with her? And here in verse 26, we read that at the outset, well, it seems curious. That is, if he had only cavorted with a prostitute, the cost would have been lower. See, the prostitute's price was just a loaf of bread. She just was trying to get something to eat. Now, it is true. That the price of a prostitute is no more than the agreed-upon price which the man pays to the woman. Well, of course. See, on the one hand, it's not so. I, I know of one man who was secretly visiting prostitutes before his wife found out about his activities. But he told me about his own experiences and he said, I felt at a certain point as if the Holy Spirit had left me and suddenly I was bereft of God. He said, I was horrified. I had given up everything. Now, in the sense, the price of a prostitute is far greater than a loaf of bread. It's the price of one's own soul. I'm once reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 16:26: For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? See, it's a high price. But while all that's true, the mother and the father are teaching the young son that at least for a moment to concentrate simply on the monetary matter of sex outside of marriage, a prostitute can be procured for a certain price. Then once that sex act is done, the price has been paid. But contrast that to the act of sex with a married woman, adultery. That woman hunts down the precious life of her victim. How so? Well, let's continue to read in Proverbs 6:27 to 35 Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So as he goes into his neighbor's wife, none who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor. His disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse though you multiply gifts. See, the opening rhetorical question about whether a man can carry fire next to his chest and not have his clothes burn, you know, means that certain actions can't be carried out without consequences. So let's stop and consider that basic truth. I think we need to stop and consider that because of how easily people are prone to imagining a world without consequences. I once, when dealing with an adulterous man, had him confront me. He said, look, If you knew you wouldn't be caught, you'd do exactly what I did. See, he thought, all men are just like me. And the only reason all men aren't cheating on their wives is because they're afraid of the consequences. And this is the point, however. Is it really true that you can commit adultery without consequences? Here's the answer. No, you can't. It's most definitely not true. And That's a good place to begin. Imagine a world where the imaginary sex act that you ponder in your heart actually happens. Now imagine the real world with the inevitable consequences that will always follow. Yeah, you might not be caught, at least by your spouse, but you're caught by God. And with that high-handed sin comes damage. And then there's the consequence of living the lie. Lies have to be practiced, and the practiced liar becomes a friend of Satan, who is the father of lies. And furthermore, life now becomes a series of secrets, and with secrets comes a familiarity with darkness. See, there's no such thing as no consequences for adultery. You'll pay a very high price, you're going to be burned, or as verse 29 tells us, you'll be punished, and the punishment, you'll find out, is more than you can bear. See the next thing we're told, it's in verse 30, is that people do not despise a hungry man when he's caught stealing to satisfy his hunger. But, says verse 31, if he's caught, he will have to pay the price. And that's because we can't keep a functioning society and not punish theft. And here's what happens with adultery. It doesn't arise out of desperation to live. That is, when the law punishes a thief, it may still offer him a dispensation of grace, or at least some understanding. Not so with the adulterer. What shall the adulterer say in his own defense? Oh, you know, I I do know that there have been many adulterers who have offered up some kind of a defense, but it is an indefensible act. Not one righteous word can be uttered to indicate that, yeah, I did this, but please consider the following. So what should we indeed consider? Let me say it as loudly as I can. Adultery is unjustifiable before God. It's unjustifiable before all righteous men and women. But someone's going to say, but I was lonely, or I was unloved. But in truth, there is no justification. Now then comes the matter of cost. Have a look at the cost. First, you're going to destroy yourself, which includes your reputation and the trust that others once had in you. That's going to be gone for all time. Second, the dishonor will never be wiped away. I'm thinking of one televangelist who still, I understand, appears on television. But no one looking at him today has any other thought but this that man committed adultery. It will continue to walk after him from the time of his adultery to the very end of his life. It won't go away. Third, the offended husband is going to want his pound of flesh. He remembers, and if the opportunity for revenge is afforded, he's going to avail himself of that. In other words, the cost will be that you're gonna spend the rest of your life looking over your shoulder. You now have enemies. Never think of adultery simply in terms of the actual act. If you fantasize about it, Please also fantasize about the reality of what comes after that. Think of the fact that the sex trade worker, the prostitute tells you her price up front, but the adulterous woman extracts her price afterward. And it is so great that if you knew what it was, it would stagger you. Keep reminding yourself of this. Remind yourself of the lives that have been destroyed and remind yourself you don't wanna be like that. Live the commands of God, and the commands of God
0: will give you life. Thanks for your message, John. Let me ask you a funny question. I don't think I've ever asked you a question like this before. We were recording this, and in your transcript, the title is The Evil Woman, and then in parentheses, or Man. Why did you do that?
1: Well, because um, Proverbs is uh, the dialogue that happens between a father and his son. And the father's very concerned about the kind of women uh, that his son will interact with. Uh, but we recognize that you know, this also has a lot to say with, um, you know, it might be a dialogue between a father and his daughter or a mother and her daughter. And uh, she is just as concerned with the kind of young men that her daughter is interacting with. So even though this is the context of Proverbs between a father and his son, we recognize that context so easily uh, works in other relationships as well. So I wanted to make sure that it was there so that part of it would be understood.
0: Thanks, John, appreciate that. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Wisdom Matters, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. If you love reading the weekly blogs from Dr. John and company, then you won't want to miss out on Back to the Bible Canada's bi-monthly Truth in Life magazine. In it, you'll find articles from Bible teacher Dr. John Neufeld, laugh gaines Phil Calloway, and other incredible guests, all with excellent, biblically-inspired insight. Not to mention the stunning images and visuals. Here at Back to the Bible Canada, the aim is to provide resources without barrier to help enrich your walk with the Lord. That's why Truth and Life Today magazine is free to all who ask. To subscribe to the Truth and Life magazine and receive the next issue delivered right to your door for free, just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca slash magazine. And thank you. It is due to the support of generous listeners that Back to the Bible Canada is able to produce and distribute Bible teaching resources like this to all who ask.